are listening to Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show about books, people who read, and how reading at its very best is a social experience. Whether it be a book club, a poetry slam, or the production of a play, words are meant to be shared. There is the old philosophical question. If a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, does it make a sound? Likewise, if you read a book and don't discuss it, have you enjoyed all the perks of being a book lover? I'm your host, Amy. I've been a member of numerous book clubs over the last 25 years and started quite a few. I love asking people what they're reading so that they'll ask me the same. I'm a vintage bookseller, a traveler wannabe, and a fanatic about dogs. And I'm your host, Carrie. I'm an English teacher, a freelance writer, a blogger, and the person whose Instagram feed features more photos of my cats than my kids. Each week, we will talk with a guest who shares the love of reading, how they impart that passion, and what books really catch them on fire. We will also tell you about our literary lives, what books are on our nightstands, and other bookish fun. Welcome. Today's guest has a multifaceted story to tell. Fadia Mohammed is a member of a woman of color book club that meets monthly to discuss a wide range of books, from romantic comedies to thrillers. But she's also a Somali immigrant herself who's taken her experience growing up in multiple countries, feeling a little bit out of place, and using that knowledge to help her students face many of those same challenges. She's a middle school language teacher for ESL students from countries including Nepal, Uganda, and Syria, and uses diverse books to help them adjust and love to read. Fadia talks to us about why you're missing out if your book club only reads black authors during February's Black History Month, how her book club uses a theme related to their book to make their meetings a little extra, and why this Somali girl loves Harry Potter. We're with Fadia Muhammad, and she is a member of a book club that's exclusively women of color. And we wanted to talk to her about her book club and about her reading life. So welcome, Fadia. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You have an interesting history. I am a Somali immigrant. I've been in the U.S. for about 22 years right now. I was born in Somalia, Africa. My parents moved right about when I was one, and I grew up in United Arab Emirates for about 12 years of my life, and we ended up moving for my dad's job at, what, 13, 14 years old? So I, when I immigrated, I moved to New York City, and I ended up in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. Which was a huge culture shock, <laughs> as you can imagine. I grew up in the UAE which is a mostly modern Muslim country. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of expatriates that live there. So for the most part, it, even though it's mostly a Muslim country, it's still very open. When I moved to the U.S., I went from being an all-girls school to a mixed school, where I was used to having all-female teachers to having male teachers. And I'm like, oh, this is different, uh-huh. along with the whole language barrier and just being a teenager on top of everything else. It was just really crazy time. So did you learn any English when you were in the UAE? A little bit, but not enough. Uh, my first language was Arabic. Then my parents are Somali, so we spoke mostly Somali at home. And so when I moved to the U.S., I knew a few words. So then you learned most of your English at 14. Yes. How did you come to Kentucky? Oh, that is interesting. (laughs) (laughs) My parents hated the winters in New York. Hated, hated. Especially coming from a warmer climate, the winters were super harsh. Uh And so my dad was like, I can't. I can't do this. We need to go somewhere where the winters are not as harsh. And 
especially for this kid who grew up in the desert, seeing right. snow for the first time. Right. I knew what it was, but not really what it is. <laughs> so when I saw it for the first time, like we had moved in January. <laughs> you moved to New York in January? Yes. Oh, wow. And everybody's angry. Like, that's all I can remember when I first moved. I was like, well, that's kind of a, that's that's kind of a, kind of a New, New York, York thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I, it took me a minute to realize, even though they sounded angry and looked angry, they really weren't angry. Like, somebody from New York might say, people from Kentucky talk so slowly. Or do everything slowly. Or do everything slowly. And it is. It's just, it, there's a difference in volume and tone and speed. So tell us a little bit about what you do now. I am an English as a second language teacher. I am the language arts teacher for my immigrant and refugee students who speak another language at home. And so the ESL students that you have, are they speaking all different languages? Yes, I have most of my students this year, and every year is different. Uh, this year I have a large Nepali. I have a large Middle Eastern, Iraqi, Syria and Congo, Tanzania, Uganda, Rwanda. Oh my gosh. So what are the challenges to teaching with all those different languages and cultures represented? And to be teaching language arts. <laughs> it's a, uh, depending on the day, I'm going to be honest, sometimes it's great and sometimes it's a headache. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you have so many different personalities and so many different like languages. I find myself identifying easier with my African and Middle Eastern students since I grew up in both. So a lot of the culture there is similar, even though the languages are different. Actually, I forgot my Hispanic kids. I also have a large population of Hispanics, but not as much as I used to have. Unfortunately, with a lot of the immigration stuff going on, a lot of my students are dropping off the map. Mm -hmm. And especially with the fear of being undocumented, mm -hmm. a lot of my students have... Right. chosen either to not identify as ESL for fear of immigration or if they do they're undocumented. Well tell us a little bit about the book club that you're in and how you found it. Now I had a was attending a professional development meeting with my school district. Every year they do a deeper learning symposium where people present different topics that are of interest to all educators. And one of the presenters did culturally relevant texts in the classroom. And actually I met two of the book members there that day. So there was culturally relevant text and one about using text that related to minority students. So I went to both those sessions. So I had met them during that day, and so we just ended up striking a conversation, and Tamika invited me to the book club where she found out I love books, and we were talking about all the different books we read. She's like, hey, I have a book club that I and another friend run. Would you be interested in coming? So I went to the first meeting, and they were doing the Jasmine Gullery's books at that time. And I just liked everyone there, and which is hard because I've tried book clubs before, and either it was really, really stuffy, or just like some of the books that were picked were either too heavy or too boring to get through. Yeah. Which I love reading as much as the Express. So sometimes, like, there's days you just really don't want to read. It's like the Bronte sisters. Like, I, right. like, I like them, but yeah. not for everything. All the women got to pick what they wanted to read. So it was like, oh, we have these and these titles, and we just kind of look at the blurb on the back or on the front, and if everybody votes on it, that's what we go with. 
Okay. So that's how you select the books. There's, yes. There, is there like a list of books and you vote on them from there? How do you get that list, that initial list of books? We all have like a list of books, either on Goodreads. I know I keep a list of books on my notepad of like, oh, I want to read that. And sometimes when we go to each other's houses, I'm like, oh, that looks good. So I just take a picture of it to buy later. Okay. Or to just to check out at the library, whichever one comes first. So we all kind of have like a list of books we all want to read. Okay. So uh, some of us is overlapping. Some of it isn't. Like the first book that I read with the book club, I'm not a big romance reader. Mm-hmm. They kind of bore me. Yeah. And not only bore me, a lot of the stuff that I think about with romance novels is like a lot of the the Harlequin, and it wasn't like that at all. So it was still chiclet, but it wasn't the normal. Right. So when we read that, I was like, oh, I like her first book. It's funny, the last meeting we had, we had to pick three books we wanted to read for the next one. It could be anything. So we put it in a bowl, and Tamika had her daughter draw out a name. And the first one she saw was The Whisper Man, and that's how we are reading The Whisper Man by oh. Alex North. Do you do it at, like, the beginning of the year, or do you do it month by month, the choosing of the books? Um, month by month. We meet once a month, and in between that time, we actually have, like, a running text group. Okay. And we also have a Facebook group, so we share both on there. And it'll be fun. We'll be texting each other, have you got to this part? I want to talk about this part. And without revealing too much to everyone else who hasn't got to that part. So that way we could talk about it or that person can know, okay, don't look at the text message just yet because <laughs> I might get a spoiler that I wasn't ready for. Right. So, so we've never talked to a group that has a text group. No. Would you say that do you use the Facebook and the text group about the same amount or is there one that's used more than the other? We use text more than the Facebook, but we do have a Facebook as well that we just kind of share our suggestions. And we also have a list of books that we like to check out next as a group. Like, hey, I've been reading this author. Let's try this for the next group. And if everybody agrees on it, we'll go from there. So does your book club have a name? My Sister's Bookshelf. Okay, so that's the name. My Sister's Bookshelf. Yes. So how many people are in the book club? Let's see. We have about 10, 11 women that meet on a regular basis month to month. On the Facebook group, about, I want to say 20, 25. But the ones who continuously make it out to the meetings are about the same 11 people. So you meet in each other's homes? It depends. Sometimes we meet at a restaurant or the first time I met them in the summer, we actually met at an ice cream shop. Oh. So it was perfect because it was uh, July, uh-huh. and everyone was craving ice cream. I was like, oh, let's just do an ice cream yeah, shop. Right. So we sat outside and just discussed a book uh-huh. while eating ice cream. So I'm curious, the books that you read in book club, have you gotten ideas about, not necessarily books that you would read with your students, but because you're with kind of like-minded yeah. people do you ever talk about books that you then end up using with your students or recommending to your students actually i have when i met tamika and deandra at the deeper learning symposium they had a bunch of books that i've never even heard of so a lot of the books they've actually used in their classroom one of the books i actually finished this summer because i was doing the book club pick and one that tamika recommended she's like you have to read children of blood and bone you have to it's by an woman mm-hmm. and she said you'll love it 
And so a lot of the themes in that book really resonated with me, and that's actually one of my favorite Because that right one's now. YA, yes, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually using that as a class novel this year, so I'm oh, really excited. Cool. I don't know about my kids, but I <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's hard to get middle schoolers excited about much of anything. anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> so are there genres that, that the book club tends to gravitate towards? And actually, no, because the first few books they read were like more like the chick lit romance. This one is more of like a thriller horror. So it's uh, actually kind of been all over the place. Like we try to read one of everything and at least give it a chance. It's funny with this book, a lot of the members were like, I don't know why we chose this. It's a good why we chose this because it's a really creepy book. Uh-huh. And they're like, we can't read this at night. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to remind myself, okay, it's dark. I don't want to give myself nightmares. So let me just put it to the side for now. And that's The Whisper Man? The Whisper Man by okay. Alex North. Okay. I've never heard of that. I never did either, but it's been a really good read. And yeah. and it's spooky. Like it's yes. So it'd be good creepy. for October, Halloween. Yes. Okay. Good to know. I love the spooky book at Halloween. (laughs) Would you say that most books are by authors of color as well, or is it mixed? It's mixed. Uh, I know for the first couple we read were by women of color, Mm -hmm. specifically African-American. I think Alex North is Caucasian, but it'll just depend and vary on what we just kind of choose for that month some of the books we've talked about. So Amy and I have been in book club for many years. And so our book club, we have had to, not rules really, but I guess a format or a little bit of a structure because it got to the point where we would spend so much time just talking and eating that it (laughs) felt like talking about the books wasn't getting as much time as we thought it should. So does your book club have a structure or a routine that you would do? We do. So we meet for two hours. So for the first hour and a half, we're discussing the book and what we like, dislike, anything about the book. In the last half hour, I've noticed we're just more catching up in each other's lives. That way, we still have that time to discuss the book, the elements, and still have time to catch up. And sometimes it's intermingled depending on the topic. So that last half hour is more social. Yes. Yeah. I noticed sometimes it overlaps. Like um, the last book we read, The Wedding Party, one of the characters' dilemmas was how to have like a good work and life, a personal life balance without feeling like she's doing too much of either. And we also ended up talking a little about that, like especially we feel like we have to be like superwoman sometimes to get this and this and this and feel like we have nothing left over for ourselves sometimes. Yeah, it's when you're discussing something that in a book that you relate to so much, it's it is you end up having those connections with your own life and they end up becoming part of the conversation just sort of naturally. That's one thing I always liked about it. Even though we still are discussing the book, it doesn't feel as like academic. Yes, because there's so many personal connections. And which is one thing I'm trying to bring with me to the classroom as well, like how to strike that right balance. It's still going to be all academic, but how do I strike it and still make it relevant where they're still interested? Because like you said, middle schoolers are not really excited about anything, (laughs) unless it's something they want to do. Right. Typically revolving around their phones, (laughs) at least from what I've seen. (laughs) Yeah, and that's the hard part, especially with social media and everything else. Because uh, Tamika has done Children of Blood and Bones and The Hate You Give in her classroom. 
and she had done it with a mixed group. Half her kids were Caucasian, the other half were African American, the others kind of were like about mixed. So she said a lot of the conversations were uncomfortable, but it was conversations they needed to have, especially with the hate you give. Mm -hmm. I love that book. I do too. Mm -hmm. I just finished the movie last night. It's funny, um, one of my students, I was doing a book trailer for that book, and um, one thing I've been focusing on this year is having the kids have a lot of student choice and books they can read. And we do independent reading 10 minutes at the beginning of class and the end, and they'll do a little book trailer. So one of the books that I pulled up was The Hate You Get. And a lot of my kids saw, I saw the movie trailer. They were like, oh, we want to do that one. They're like, can we do that book? Yes, get like 12 <laughs> copies somewhere. <laughs> but yes, I was just excited they were excited about a book. Because right. a lot of my students didn't realize a lot of the movies they see is based on books. Mm-hmm. I was really lucky in the summer. After talking to Tamika, I actually did a Donors Choose oh, yeah. that got funded for Classroom Library. Um, I've only been teaching for like about three years. Four actually now, but I don't have a large classroom library. Would love to, but... With funding and stuff, it's kind of hard. So with Donors Choose, I actually got a grant for about $500. And one of the books I got was The Hate You Give and Ghost Boys, which was recommended by Amazon based on the similarities in the book. And Ghost Boys is based on a character is written by Mel. One of the boys accidentally gets shot by a cop, and he becomes a ghost. So he's trying to help his family heal. Oh, wow. So he meets, like, Emmett Till and some of the past figures that have been brutally murdered. And he's trying, because now he sees, like, the devastation his death has caused in the community and in his family. And he's trying to connect with his family and let them know it's okay to move on. And even though he's angry about what happened, he still, it kills him to see his friends hurting like that with no real resolution, especially when the cop got off. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know if I gave away too much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I noticed the ghost boy, the hate you give, and a lot of my comic books were the ones they fought over. So I was like, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I, I got you. So <laughs> now to reel you in. Back to your book club, are there any books or types of books that, you all have said, like, we definitely know we don't want to read a certain writer or anything like that. I haven't seen that yet, but I know a lot of our books have kind of been a consensus. Like, we all want to read this. We've all mm-hmm. talked about it, seen the blurb. We haven't done any political books thus far, but since we're all kind of... A lot of us are conservatives, but for the most part, we're kind of liberal. So mm-hmm. I think the only books that we won't do is anything, like, inflammatory. Mm-hmm. Right. Like Ann Coulter, we just won't touch that right. one with yeah. uh, tear your stick. Right. Yeah. No. <laughs> but for the and most, you're, I don't think you're the only book club that would not touch those books either. <laughs> but a lot of the books that we've talked about, we've all willing to give it a chance, even if it's something we necessarily wouldn't gravitate towards as readers, because we all have favorite books and books that we gravitate towards time and time again. But we've all talked about giving a book a fair shot. So in the time that you've been in the book club, has one or the other books really stood out to you and been like, oh, I really just love this? Or maybe have they mentioned books that they've read before that were a favorite of yours? Jasmine Galeria is one of them. And I'm really not into chiclet, but with her, 
I was one, but I like Jennifer Weiner, and so we talked about a lot about some of the authors. The way they talk about it gets me excited to read some of the books. I thought I was a voracious reader until I saw Tamika and Deandra's. I'm like, they have all these books, and I'm like, I want to read all of them. <laughs> like, all of us are voracious readers, but there's been some books I'm like, I never would have thought to pick that up. Mm. Like, Jasmine Giller, I would have never even really touched it. So the Jasmine Guillory book. I saw a picture on Instagram, I think, yes. and you all were dressed up in pink dresses or floral dresses, yes. and you were standing around what looked like a wedding cake. Yes, and um, every book club we've had has a theme, oh. depending on what the uh, theme of the book is. Now, since we're reading The Whisper Man, we're still trying to come up with a theme, but uh, with Jasmine Gallery, oh, let's see, the first book I read uh, centered around tacos and cupcakes <laughs> and margaritas. <laughs> That's a good theme right there. <laughs> right. So, so each one of us signs up to do something different. So I get this, you get that, and we also do gift exchange at the end. Of, of every book club? Of every book club. Oh, my wow. gosh. Now, our gift exchanges are like $10 or under, so it's not like anything that's going to break the bank. But it's something like we would all would like. So it'll be like either lotions or earrings. It just kind of depends. So it's like you buy for yourself what you think you would like to get, and after a while you get to know some of the other ladies and just noticing what they like. It doesn't have to be related to the theme. No, it doesn't. Okay. Like the last one, since it's sent around a wedding, oh, let's do something new, something blue, something borrowed. Oh. So sometimes it just coincides with the theme. So when, when everybody was dressed up, do you normally dress up for the book clubs or was it because of the theme? It was because of the theme. Usually we all, actually it's funny thing is we definitely didn't plan to be as dressed up as we did. <laughs> but it actually ended up working out because since we had like the wedding party food, it was um, cakes, uh, light finger foods, everybody bought something different. And we all ended up dressing up in pink. So it was really cute. And with each book we've done, we come up with a theme that all was, oh, well, how about doing this and this and this? And usually we're all on board. It's funny, the last one, because it had a lot of drink specials in there, we had thought about doing like a, where we get to decorate glasses. Now, one of our book members is really artsy. Like she found a recipe for making wine glass. Okay. And decorating it and she actually put it in the oven for like 300 degrees and she made it one for everyone in the book club that was her gift and I was like yeah because if I had done it I would have ended up in the a bed of tears somewhere talk about <laughs> I hate Pinterest I hate everything crazy. <laughs> do you feel a lot of pressure like I love that kind of stuff yeah. I love a good theme <laughs> and I've that that's too much for me like that I'm like I just can I just show up with my book, you know? <laughs> and we're kind of in the middle, so that's kind of what makes it special. Like, there will, there's a few of us who love all the Pinteresty yeah. arts and crafts, and they love hosting and doing all that. We usually leave them to it. Yeah. <laughs> we have, and I'm kind of like, I'm in the middle, but not that much. Yeah. So yeah. we've kind of learned to play to our strengths. Look, if you asked me to make a glass at home, I would have just thought you were insane. Like, don't can we just buy it? Because yeah. we were like, we... This takes too much time. Yeah, especially when you're teaching full time. All of us are not teachers. Like, there's four or five of us that are. The rest are either nurses or accountants or front office managers. So all of us are very different as far as our roles and what we do for a living. So it just kind of depends on what we can do. Are you all around the same age? Uh. 
we're all in our 30s and 40s so yeah so i would say we are so we're all different walks of life and we all do different things which makes it interesting especially with me at the end of the month and we have like little tidbits to share from our jobs our families and it makes it fun because we can relate a lot of that to the books we're reading so it sounds like the book club is is giving you a lot of things it's giving you the the discussion of the book so kind of that intellectual but it sounds like it's also giving you a really nice social outlet and connections with with other women exactly it's funny we were actually just talking about that yesterday ordinarily i think we all we would have met if it weren't for the book club Mm. and it's hard making friends when especially as you get in your 30s and 40s with other women because unless you just happen to be in the same job or in the same that's true yeah so it's hard to make friends especially friends who like the same things you do because mm-hmm. especially now that a lot of us are have kids are married our lives are different does your book club do anything social outside of the actual book club meeting do we've anything? uh we've actually talked about it <laughs> 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 it's funny we were supposed to go to um there was an event here the last time we met the lipstick oh lipstick, lipstick wars. wars we were supposed to go but we ended up just talking so much that our two-hour meeting became like a three and a half hour meeting <laughs> <laughs> we interviewed we, brianna nicole yeah we the woman who organized that on the oh, podcast cool. so you have to go back and listen but she's having one in lexington we might have to. Yeah, so you might just have to move trip. it to Lexington. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And actually, take that back. A few of the other women actually did go to a book club signing by Jasmine Guillory. Oh, okay. So we do do field trips. It's just if all of us can do it, a few of right. us can. Right. So it was her and a few other book club members. So if somebody was thinking about joining a book club, what advice or suggestions would you give them as far as trying to find one or trying to start or form a book club? Uh, As far as joining a book club, go to a couple of their meetings, see how it is, and see if you like the personalities of the people in that book club. I think nine times out of ten, what makes it or breaks it is the other people in that club. And I think the fact that we only meet once a month and it kind of makes it fresh for us. Like, we get excited to share about our the different books we've read and all that. Kind of be careful that uh, the book club that you do join doesn't end up, even though it's fun to, because we've been in clubs where we were supposed to discuss a book and two hours later we they've drunk more wine <laughs> than yeah. actually discussing anything. So it's funny, we were talking about that the last book club. A lot of us had like different either positive or negative experiences with other book clubs where they felt like one book club member talked about how she felt like the book club was only reading New York bestsellers. Mm. And it felt like if it wasn't on a New York bestseller, it wasn't a book worth even reading about or certain authors got more pulled than others. We all like the New York bestseller. Like, we'll read some of that. But sometimes a lot of that depends on what it is. It might not be your genre or it might not be your fit. It's like I was willing to give it a try. They weren't willing to give some of the books that I suggested a try. Mm. And... That was another complaint that we had just from our experiences. They either pick the same kind of books. Yeah. One member was talking about how they only read books by African-Americans during February. Like that was the only time mm. that mm. we were relevant. Mm. Right. And it's funny. She's like, well, with other book clubs, we read everybody. But it seemed like we were only allowed to read African-American authors during the Black History Month. 
and just like a lot of them weren't up for trying hispanic authors or other books unless it was critiquing the new yorker or uh new york bestseller mm-hmm. a lot of people feel like that's the litmus test mm. to whether a book is good or not. We do have a few rules about, hey, even though we're all adults, we should know how to engage politely. When we discuss certain books and certain authors, just be careful how you phrase certain things. And honestly, I haven't seen any issue with that, even when we agreed to disagree. Half of us liked the last book, and the other half felt like it was a rehash of her other two books. So we were still able to have a polite discussion without anybody feeling like they're getting their feelings hurt everybody was heard and i think sometimes i I know in in our book club there's been occasions where somebody picks a book Mm -hmm. you know they're hosting and people for whatever reason it's just not their cup of tea they don't like it and so Mm -hmm. sometimes it's hard it's like you want to critique the book you want to say what you didn't like about it but that doesn't mean that you don't like the person who picked Everybody it. Everybody picks a stinker sometimes. Yeah, and yeah. if you're like me, you pick stinkers every year. So. Yes. <laughs> so when you're just reading whatever you want to read, what kind of things are your favorites? I'm, uh, I'm eclectic. I have a little bit of everything. I'm a huge, huge fan of the Harry Potter series. Yeah, okay. I think it was just like the first set of books that actually got my attention as a child. Uh-huh. And it's um, when I first moved to the U.S., Besides the whole culture shock in every way, a lot of the books I couldn't relate to at all. And it's funny, I actually remember going home one day, I'm like, you would think the only time Africans were introduced was during slavery. Like, a lot of the books did not have African kids. Or if they did, it was like just that quick overview of like, hey, slavery happened, now it's over. This wasn't varied. But a lot of the books that I've read, like The Call of the Wild, I had to read that as a class novel when I first came to the U.S. and I hated it. Because I'm not really a Dorsey person at all. So it was like, I don't get this. (laughs) So what do you think it was about the Harry Potter that attracted you? And the funny thing is, um, my teacher actually gave it to me as a way to keep me engaged. I was just checked out. I really was. It was just everything we picked. It was just, I didn't like it as much. So she was like, you might like this. And I'm like, oh, it's about a wizard. Okay, whatever. So it's funny, I just was reading it at home, and I'm like, I got through the first chapter, the second chapter. I'm like, I actually kind of like this. I was about 13, 14 at the time, and the kid was 11. The first mm-hmm. se- uh, the first book started with him being this abused child, living with his horrible aunt and uncle, and that kind of drew me in, because my background wasn't like that. But I knew a couple of my friends who had that background, and I felt bad for them. And then I'm getting through the book, I'm like, oh... It was written so well that it pulled me in, and uh, I could see everything. And, and once was, they pull you in, they don't let you go. <laughs> no, not powerful. at all. And it's funny, I remember being like 15, 16, and there was, what, the fourth book? And I remember I asked my dad if I could, because the books would drop at midnight. Oh. Uh-huh. I don't know if that was a technique to sell the book. So, like, on a Friday, the fourth Harry Potter book was coming out, Harry Potter, The Goblet of Fire. And I remember asking my dad, can I camp out? Like, a lot of people <laughs> were camped out at the bookstore just to be able to be the first people to actually get the book. Because within hours, it would be sold out. You would have to wait. And my dad's like, 
you're not homeless. <laughs> I don't. He's like, why would you want to? I don't understand. You want to sleep on the street? <laughs> I don't get it. Like, he said, I'll get you the book, but you're not going to a bookstore at midnight. And he goes, I was like, I don't even have school the next day. He said, I'm not taking you to the bookstore at midnight. And it's funny. I actually was talking to him about that a while back. I said, all the other kids are probably asking to be at parties at midnight and one o'clock. And your child was asking you to go to a bookstore. And he's like, but he said, looking back, I should have just taken you. <laughs> like, it seemed like a strange request at the time. <laughs> yeah, he, it was a strange. like, I didn't know what it was. Like, were you really asking to go to a bookstore? <laughs> I was like, I was telling you to take me. So I, I could have drive at 15. So I was obviously asking you to go with me. And people were dressed up, and I wanted to do all that. And my dad was like, that's just weird. Yeah. No. <laughs> but, so I'll support but really, it. do you think part of it, because when you were 15, you were still relatively new to the United States. Do you think part of it was just like, what? Is that what they do here? I think a little bit of that was just like that whole, it's just new to me. Yay for your teacher for giving you that first Harry Potter book. Yes, I was really excited about that. So that's kind of like one of the reasons I ended up becoming a teacher, because I wanted to make sure I... S- spark that first love of reading because you're from somalia do you read works by somali authors i actually did ayana if i want to say and it was starkly different because with her it was based on her life where she was forced into a marriage at a really young age wasn't happy with so when I read the book and I'm go- going through her experiences, it's it's funny to me, even though it was by a Somali woman, it painted a picture. I was like, oh, even though I am, our experiences are vastly different. Everybody's like, oh, you must be reading that because you share those experiences. Not at all. With her being a refugee, it was just totally different because my parents chose to immigrate where with her family, she was forced out. That's interesting. I mean, that brings up a really... I think important point that just because people share a similar country yeah. or a similar anything doesn't mean that they have an identical story. Yes, and I think a lot of people have that. And it's not just, honestly, I thought the same thing. Mm-hmm. When I first moved to the U.S., I didn't even realize there was black people. Mm. Because... Actually, I did, but a lot of the images I saw were really negative. So the few, I was like, oh, they're all rappers or they're singers or they're actors. And the few I did see, besides the Cosby show, like the Cosby show was like my first introduction to black life that wasn't in a negative light. And it's so sad because I think my parents started to realize like, okay, we need to turn some of those set off. Yeah. When I first moved here, I was like, oh, all Americans are angry. That wasn't my first thing. Then right. I realized it was just a more of a cultural thing. Right. And when I, my parents told me I was moving to Kentucky, I was like, so we're moving to a place where they have horses? <laughs> yes. And yeah. we did. I'm like, oh, I get a horse. And I was like, no. Yeah, not everybody has a horse. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, they don't have shoes. Because you should fit in. You don't like wearing shoes either. <laughs> but it's funny like how the stereotypes stick in our brain, even though we should know better. And I would get upset about people having those stereotypes about me, but I was like, oh, they have horses, which is half the reason why I was excited to come here. <laughs> I've never actually been on a horse. I'm still kind of <laughs> up in here almost still one. time. <laughs> True. Well, on that note, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what we're all reading. Mm-hmm. 
We're back in the studio. I'm with Carrie and I'm with Fadia and we're going to talk about what we're reading. So Carrie, what's up? So I was inspired by one of our earlier guests, Brandon Villarolo, the book binder. I was inspired by him. He talked about reading Persepolis and that had been on my list. And so I went and I bought them and I think they come in a couple different versions. So you can buy part one and part two separately, but you can also buy them together. So I had read part one and I just finished part two. And these are um, graphic novels. These are graphic novels. Yes. By Marjane Satrapi. i think I pronounced that right but maybe not so the first book is about her life up to the age of about 14 she was born and lived in Iran and then her parents sent her to school in Europe so book two is about her from age about 14 kind of how she's in Europe and she's going to school and then she goes back to Iran So I enjoyed them. It really gave me a different way to think about another country, kind of like what we were just talking about. You have these stereotypes and these ideas about what you think life in a certain country is or isn't like. And so it was really interesting to me to get the perspective of what she experienced, both growing up in Iran, but then also going out into the larger world and then coming back and and trying to adjust. I gave my middle schooler the first book to read, and he was fascinated because the book talks, and it's not, I don't think it's too graphic, about torture and how some people were killed because they spoke out against the government. And so my son was just blown away that this happens in the world. For me, reading about her experiences, I was very fascinated about the struggles that she faced when she was in Europe and how difficult it was to straddle so many experiences. She was from Iran and having to adjust and meet people. And that time of your life when you're 14, that's a hard period of adjustment, even if everything in your life is completely normal and stable. And so she was having to adjust to being without her parents, you know, having come from Iran and speaking another language. So I was really interested in that. So I recommend it highly to anybody, number one, who likes graphic novels, number two, who wants to get an insight into a voice of somebody who's not like you, who has different experiences growing up. I recommend it. I'm going to give my, my son is anxiously awaiting being able to start Persepolis too. I actually have Persepolis in my Amazon cart. And <laughs> that's why I was like, wait, that sounds familiar. <laughs> sure enough, because it's one of the books that came up because when I was looking for graphic novels mm-hmm. to read. So, yes. So you'll now you'll Definitely move it up. Yes. order. Click the order button. <laughs> Which I will. <laughs> well, Fadia, tell us what you're reading. Um, actually, three books right now. Um, Do you normally read three books at one time? Yes and no. I read a lot more during summer break. One of the books I'm reading is Under the Mesquite. <gasps> it's a book of poetry. Yes. I, I read that. Yes. By Guadalupe Garcia McCall. It's about a young teenager who is coming to age she's having more and more responsibilities especially since her mother's dying of cancer and she's a mexican-american and just kind of dealing with the difficulties of being a teenager plus dealing with the impending doom of her death of her mother and her feelings about that the book is actually written in all verse 
which is one of the ways I ended up picking it up. I was like, oh, I like this. I'm also leading the Whisper Man by Alex North from Upper Club. Right, which is scary. Yes. <laughs> and I'm also reading I Am Alfonso Jones. Oh, okay. <gasps> That's a graphic novel. Which is one of the reasons I picked it up because I actually tried to read a lot of the books before I put it in my classroom. That way at least I know what's in it just in case right. a kid goes home with something I can at least back it up to the parents. But thankfully, I haven't had a lot of complaints from parents at all, actually. Thank God. Unless, <laughs> knocking on wood, I am Alfonso Jones. It's about this kid who, he gets shot by a cop. He also becomes a ghost, which is, weirdly enough, it's kind of like ghost boys, but different in the graphic novel form. Especially the harsh realities of being a young black man. And just the community's outrage and it keeps happening and never gets better. And it's a, so it's a really good book. How do you like graphic novels? Actually, I really like it a lot. Do you? I'm still trying to warm up to it. I've read several, and I don't dislike them. She doesn't know how to read them. I'm not. <laughs> Which, it takes a little bit to get used to because yeah. I know a few people are on the fence about is graphic novels really reading or is it really a book because it has pictures. I was kind of on the fence too until I actually picked up one of my students, The Diary of a Wimpy Kid, mm. and The Dork Diaries, and... Um, Sisters by Rihanna oh, Telgemeier. Yeah. Telgemeier. Yeah. And the content is deep. Even though it's a graphic novel with pictures, that book was really deep. It was about the relationship we have with our sisters and how people can be totally different even though they're raised in the same household and the expectations of you have to be perfect. Especially, I think, especially more for women. I'm sure men have that feeling, too. Like, they have to be the biggest, the strongest. But a lot of girls, even talk to a lot of my students, it's, they have that whole, I have to be perfect. Even my boys. Like, I have to be perfect at this. I have to be the best at this. So it's interesting reading that. And I'm like, wow, they deal with a lot of the issues a lot of our students are dealing with. And, you know, the, the more I think about it, my son loves graphic novels. That's all he wants to read. So I finally looked up different award-winning, highly rated graphic novels. So I picked up the Alfonso Jones, and I, I brought home, like, four of them. Yeah. Well, he read... American-born Chinese in a oh, day. I, yeah, I love that one. Love, love. That's actually, that was my first introduction after the Dark Diaries. And really? Maybe it was just because of the content. It was like, it's nice, but it wasn't something I would actually pick up. Then a librarian actually suggested American-born Chinese, and I love that. One of my kids who was Chinese actually walked off with the book, but hey, I'll, I'll buy it <laughs> he again. He liked it that much that yeah, he the, never gave it back. I, he never gave, I was just happy, like, look, I, I got, I got to win. Right, I'll take it. Right. But it was one of the first books I read. I was, that was a graphic novel that I really, truly loved. That kind of expanded my horizons to graphic novels. It deals with a lot of the themes that we want our kids to talk about, discuss, and I'm like, hey, at this point, if if graphic novels all you read. I'm happy that you're reading. Right. But what are some of those suggestions? I would love some for my Well, I'll give you some of those uh, after we finish recording, and I'll put those on the books mentioned. There's a bunch. But he loves them. But I got to thinking, picture books, the books that we read to, like, little kids are amazing. A Bad Case of Stripes. Mm -hmm. That's a picture book, and it's a great story. Like, I don't care whether you're five or whether you're 50. It's a great story. And so I'm really trying to slap that out of myself that graphic novels aren't good quality. Oh, you also have to really check out The Last and Found Cat of Kunkush. It's about the story of this Iraqi family who has to leave Iraq. 
and they immigrate through Turkey, Greece. They pay a smuggler. And the mom takes along her white cat. Like the family loves this white cat, couldn't bear to leave it. So she hides it in a basket. They're riding on this boat. The kids are feeding it scraps of food to keep it quiet. And they're telling the cat, be quiet, be quiet. Because if the smugglers find you, they're either going to throw you over or we're going to lose you. They get to Greece and their boat gets capsized and they lose the cat. Oh. And this is beautiful white cat. And it's based on a true story. Photojournalist found the cat. She's like, this cat? Because they have an island of cats that were strays. So she takes it home and she puts it out on Facebook. Like, hey, I found this beautiful cat. And it gets shared. And she's like, I would love to find the owner. Somebody's missing this cat terribly. It's written as a picture book. Like, uh, it was a it's a book about story. a cat. I'm all over oh. it. <laughs> yes, it's a beautiful story. My all my kids have loved it. It is funny because they're like it's a picture book, and all of them are crying at the end. <laughs> well, Amy, what have you been reading? Well, I'm going to talk about a self-help book today, and this Ooh. is probably the only time you'll ever hear me talk about a self-help book because this is not a genre that I read hardly ever. Mm-hmm. But I read one recently. And it is because I saw it on a website. So our podcast was recently featured on a website called Postcards and Authors. And Hmm. Anita, who's the creator of that website, she features mainly authors and book clubs on there. But she's recently started adding some podcasts. And what she does is she sends you a Q&A. And so she asks us lots of questions about, you know, how we started and everything. But she also asks you to pick a postcard from your area or something that, you know, represents you and to send it in. So I was on the website looking at, you know, what other people had sent in to try to get an idea. And I came across a postcard by an author named Karen Rinaldi, who wrote this book called It's Great to Suck at Something, (laughs) which is a really fun name, right? And there was just something about the title and her description on the back of her postcard that intrigued me. And I'm going to read you what she wrote on her postcard. She wrote, I suck at surfing, but it brings me ineffable joy. This is your invitation to find your joy in suckitude and the freedom it brings. Go forth and suck at something. Anyway, I don't know. I just, that was very intriguing to me. So I I got the book at the library. And Karen Rinaldi is also a book editor. It seems like I've been reading a lot of books that were written by book editors. When you fall in a hole, you just fall. Right, but that stuff. was just by chance. That was by chance, not on purpose. For many years as a hobby, she has surfed. She took it up in her 40s. And surfing, I, I didn't really know anything about surfing. But surfing is a pastime or a skill that most surfers say, unless you started as a child or a teenager, you're never going to be able to master it. I feel like that might be the same thing about skiing. I tried to ski as an adult and was horrible at least you tried it <laughs> but i tried it she started her 40s but she says that she sucks at it and she still sucks at it and she's i think in her 60s now oh wow but she doesn't care and all she really wants to do with her free time is surf and she even spent much of her family's life savings buying a house in costa rica that was <laughs> oh right gosh. on the ocean because it had good surfing And so everyone was asking her and wondering why she would keep doing this when she clearly was never going to master (laughs) this. And when she thought about it, she came up with several positive reasons why she persevered in her suckitude. So the ones that stuck out to me, that meant the most to me, were one, it's okay not to be perfect. And letting go of that expectation frees you to enjoy something you love. This probably was the most important thing to me because I do feel like most of my life I have not wanted to try something unless I thought I could be the best the best at it or are really good at it. The second thing is you're not 
you're not solely the work that you do and it's okay to play. So, you know, if you're an accountant, you're not just an accountant. Like there's this whole other side to you and you can explore other things. And also not to compare yourself to others, that everyone is on their own journey and to focus on your journey. Do your best, but not somebody else's. Let go of that personal <gasps> judging. And then the fourth thing was don't worry about looking silly because who cares? That vulnerability will make you stronger. So lots of times I think nonfiction books are just, they just go on too long. Like I feel yes. like they could say everything that they needed to say in three chapters. This suffers a little bit from that too, but I do think that the author takes you through her own life journey of surfing and, and different things that she goes through and she intersperses that with some philosophy. And so it does keep the narrative going and it did pull me through the book. I guess, like I said, it spoke to me because, you know, I, I'm in my forties and it occurred to me probably on my 45th birthday, I'm about halfway, well, probably a little over halfway through my life. And if I'm ever going to try some of these things that I've wanted to try, but have been too scared to do because I might not be good at it now's the time or forever hold my peace. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be afraid to fail at things and then not try them. So I want to look back without regrets. I think you can't read this book and not want to try something and what? suck at it. But this podcast is actually an example of my suck at <laughs> Something we suck at? <laughs> well, Great! Way to sell the show, well, Amy! <laughs> hopefully we don't suck at it. But the impetus to starting it is something that I wanted to try and I thought, we'll never we get underwriters. <laughs> okay, fine, Karen. <laughs> All right, go, carry on. We'll never, we'll never know what it's like to do well, it. Well, it's just something I wanted to try and I thought, we're probably going to, it's probably not going to go anywhere, but I just want to try it because I think it would be fun. And so that's And why. it is. And it, it is. is. We succeed at having fun. Well, on that note, we'll take fun. a break. And when we come back, we are going to ask Fadia her top five. Yes. We are back in the studio with Fadia Muhammad, and we are going to ask her her top five. So Fadia, you love to cook. Yes. What is your top cookbook? Yeah, I do love to cook, but I don't really have a top cookbook. I know that's weird. A lot of it has been off YouTube. Um, I actually had a club at school, at the last school I was at, the International Cooking Club, where we would try a lot of different dishes. But a lot of my girls were immigrants refugees who just wanted to cook a lot of American treats. A lot of them have never had, like, a chocolate brownie. So they were like, oh, let's try brownies. Let's, and that's kind of how I got started a little bit. And they were like, oh, let's do a cupcake or those little cake pops and we kind of learned a lot about ourselves uh, doing the whole cooking like definitely buy more ingredients of everything yeah. and getting a bunch of children to not sample food as they're doing yes. it it's kind of hard yeah and it's funny that, that kind of led me down the rabbit hole a little bit so what is the top thing about Somali culture that you think would surprise someone not familiar with it we're very communal and we share everything and we're also very brutally honest which if you're not used to just having that or hearing that a lot, it's not done in a mean or catty way, but um, you'll just get the raw response. Because my parents, when I would ask a question, they would always frame it in a child-appropriate way, but I would always get the truth. It wasn't anything like... It didn't sugarcoat things. Yes. Some people overhear the conversation I'll have with my 13-year-old sister, and they're like, you'll tell her that? And I'm like, better to hear from us than out there. 
And then you would never know Somalia has beaches because all, all you see of Somalia, unfortunately, is a lot of the either the fighting, the civil war, or the pirates. But you never know that we had some of the most beautiful beaches and there's actual resort towns because where you see a lot of the images of Africa, it's either all, they're all poor or they're all starving and hot. It's like very monolithic like that's all how they all are instead of no africa is a huge continent with 52 countries right now 64 if you ask my parents because a, a lot of africans actually split up the countries by tribe somalia is split into two there's somali and there's somaliland based on the tribes and where they settled and when unfortunately a lot of us colonized they just made it one big country totally ignoring the fact that a lot of the tribes had their own distinct language their own culture so i guess that would be something that would be surprising so when you aren't cooking at home do you have a top cuisine or restaurant Um, i'm very eclectic i try everything at least once uh shout out to my friend shay who actually introduced me to sushi Mm. so before i would never have tried it because it's raw and i'm like look if it's not we already killed it. Can we just go ahead and fry it up and <laughs> serve it? Like, I didn't understand. She had took me out to Saperos on Barstown Road. And she's like, they do have fried sushi, which I didn't even know about. I'm very open to trying anything. Uh, I don't know if it's because I grew up in a different places in my life. I will try anything at least once. I love, of course, Middle Eastern African food. They're still my top. My uh, stomach's been growling stuff. this whole interview. I know. And now it's like, <laughs> It's getting worse, y'all. Maybe we should move away from Yeah, I know. We're going to move on to my my next question. Um, So so my stomach stops rumbling. What is the top thing you enjoy about teaching immigrant and refugee children? It's a way for me to give back and to kind of correct some of the experiences I've had. And it's, I know it's going to sound really dinky, but it's a way for me to come home too. Because the first couple of years, I didn't feel like I really truly belonged. So making sure my kids still retain who they are and balancing both cultures and languages, just who they are, is still important to me. I had a hard time with that. I ended up wilding out for a little bit. I see their struggles. I feel it and I understand it. In a way, it's just a, I love it because I kind of get to be the teachers I never got to receive. Well, our final question, you come from an immigrant experience and you teach immigrant and refugee children. Do you have a favorite book with the theme of the immigrant experience? Yes, several. (laughs) I was like, how much longer do we have? (laughs) The Day You Begin, which a friend introduced me to, and it's about this Venezuelan kid who starts school and everything's different and he doesn't know the language and he's struggling and the other kids are making fun of him and... It takes a African-American child who also feels like she's not there either, like she's disenfranchised, to, and she takes them under her wing. They end up being friends, and it's just about them finding out, even though they're from completely different countries, cultures, languages, how much they truly had in common. And it's actually a picture book. I've been on a kick with picture books and graphic novels I've seen. <laughs> it's one of the books I want to introduce my kids to in a couple of weeks, The Day You Begin. And about all the special things they have to bring. I know I felt it. I know they feel like there's nothing really special about them. And that I feel like they're a burden to everyone, which, especially with this current climate, I hate to say. That would be one. The Day You Begin, The Lost and Found Cat. 
And the last book, Children of Blood Abode. It's a trilogy, and I read the first one because I got it as a recommendation from one of the book club members. It's a fantasy novel, and it's set in Orisha, which is a made-up West African country, which actually is similar to Nigeria. Mm-hmm. The author is uh, Nigerian, and she's a first-generation immigrant. So she said a lot of that was based on how she grew up and where she grew up. And, but it's told from the viewpoints of three characters, Basically, the king went through and started murdering a bunch of magic. There's 10 different clans who have different powers. One can control water, one can control wind, one can control life and death. So it's like different magic clans. Yeah, that's been one of my favorites. And it's actually made me want to visit Nigeria more. Awesome. This is slightly off topic, but I saw a movie recently that this makes me think of just a little bit. I saw a movie called Blinded by the Light. It's uh, set in the 1980s. I love anything that's that's 80s themed. But it's based on a true story of a Pakistani boy whose parents immigrated to England. And they were living in England during the 1980s. And he is, I think he's suffering a lot of teen angst. He argues a lot with his father because his father wants him to be Pakistani. But he really wants to try to fit in with, you know, the British culture. And there's a lot of discrimination against Pakistanis um, in England at that time. And his life has changed when a friend of his introduces him to the music of Bruce Springsteen. Mm. And so a lot of the movie is music-based. They would show the, the lyrics of Bruce Springsteen up on the screen. But he related to Bruce Springsteen because Bruce Springsteen talks a lot about the plight of the of working class. And his family was definitely working class. Mm-hmm. And he just felt a connection with that. But anyway, it was a really fun um, movie, but it made me think a little bit about what we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. I, I have another book, White Teeth. I listened to the audiobook of that by Zadie Smith, and it is also about the immigrant experience. Now, that's probably one of the more recent ones I've read, but I really enjoyed it. It's set in Britain, and one of the characters is from India, but it's not India. Malaysia? Ben- Sri Lanka? No, Beng- Beng- Bengal? Yeah. That must be it. The story itself really stayed with me because it's about his experience coming to Britain and then his sons. So his sons are first generation Britons who have a father who he sort of stayed behind a little Mm -hmm. bit. And I think that's probably a common experience that the first generation that moves is is anchored between two worlds. And then the, the generation that's born here has a totally different experience. And yes. so trying to navigate that and meet your parents' expectations of what you should be. I felt like it was really interesting. And it takes a long time, but in the story, eventually you find out why the book is called White Teeth, which I kept listening and listening and listening, and, and then I got it. So it comes, but then you realize that's, yes. that's the importance of it. Uh, that's my contribution. To the conversation. Now you all have me like looking at Amazon, just like <laughs> adding different books. But that's that's the that's the danger. Yeah. Of, of doing a show and being on a show like this. <laughs> yes. Well, I've added it to my TBR list, so there thank you, you for that recommendation. Well, we could just talk to you all day, Fadia, but yes. alas, we have to go. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank it you for inviting me. A really great conversation. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes for any episode, please go to our blog site at www 
www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. Follow us on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover and on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to and when new episodes air. If you enjoy our show, spread the word and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find us. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots, community-based radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.